just a reminder, here at That's So Chronic, we are dedicated to sharing personal stories. We are not advocating any type of treatment, therapy, procedure or intervention. Everyone is unique, so please seek professional medical advice before making any decisions for yourself or for others. Welcome to That's So Chronic, the podcast where I, Jess Bryan, interview some incredible people from around the world that are thriving and sometimes only just surviving with chronic illnesses, life-changing injuries, and potentially disastrous diagnoses. For today's interview, we are heading to New York, where I got to chat with Eden Perlove all about her diagnosis of scleroderma. In this episode, Eden talks us through the journey of actually getting a diagnosis, how Scleroderma affects her and how she's had to accommodate. She also gives us a rundown of the 12 specialists she sees regularly. And to be honest, she just gives us a really great insight into what it's like living with a chronic illness. Also, we mentioned this at the end of the episode, but I thought I'd pop it in here as well. As scleroderma is a rare condition, if you're listening and you too have a diagnosis of scleroderma and you feel comfortable reaching out and connecting, we would love to hear from you. All right, that's enough from me. Let's hear from Eden. Welcome to That's So Chronic. Welcome to That's So Chronic. I'm not going to lie to you, I did spend a lot of time scrolling on your Instagram, looking at all of your adorable pictures of your two dogs, Cider and Sweet Tea. They look so lovely and like they're a lot of fun. So I was like justifying this by being like, it's research for the podcast. I have to look at these pictures. Oh, yeah, 100%. (laughs) And now you're not just a dog mum. You are also a bit of a foodie and also a film nerd. Now, your words, not mine. I don't just come out here and call people nerds for (laughs) the sake of it. Oh, no. (laughs) I love film. Totally get that. And you also work for an incredible organization called She NYC Arts. And She NYC Arts works with theater artists and theater producers, directors, composers, all sorts of artists in the theater world who uh, may fall into a marginalized gender group, such as cis women or trans non binary people. And I know for a fact that there will be some people listening to this podcast that will be really excited about the work that you do there and will want to know more. So I will definitely leave the website in the show notes so that people can go have more of a look of what you do because it is incredible. But the reason why we connected and what we're going to chat more about today is that you were diagnosed with a rare connective tissue and rheumatic condition called scleroderma. Yeah, so I have scleroderma and I was diagnosed in July 2020. However, I had been showing symptoms for about 10 years. I was just about to say, I'm sure that the diagnosis wasn't the beginning of this whole journey. (laughs) Definitely not. When did you start to notice symptoms? I started noticing symptoms my sophomore, junior year of high school. Mm -hmm. I started just kind of bloating and feeling uh, like a little bit of joint pain, a little bit of stiffness. And um, I had always had... At the end of my fingers, Mm -hmm. they were always very, very red. Ah. And 
I was working in the set shop at my high school drama department. Mm -hmm. And so I just assumed it was from the manual labor that I was doing. Yeah. And as well as I was in high school, I wasn't sleeping all the time. I was working or (laughs) hanging with friends. So I just kind of assumed it was all of those things. Mm -hmm. And as I got older and I went to college, I, I went to theater school. It's can be really intense. You're working all the time. I also made the assumption that I was just feeling tired or having joint pain from my dance class or from just being in class for eight plus hours. And eventually in, I would say probably when I was in grad school, my first year of grad school, I started to get even more fatigue and I started to feel as though like every day was a little bit tougher. Mm -hmm. And I was going to my doctor, my primary care doctor, and he was like, well, I just think you're overworking yourself. Uh, you're you're doing too much. And I think this is a story kind of everybody experiences. Yeah. And so I was like, I'm young. I, I am just going to guess that I'm, again, like he's saying, I'm probably just really tired. Yeah. And so I sort of just didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. And the freelance art hustle, I was stage managing full time at that point. Mm-hmm. And In one of my shows, I actually injured my foot. Ah. I had sprained it, but unfortunately, I had a doctor tell me it wasn't sprained. Ah. And so I walked on it for several years. Years? Yeah, I walked on it for three years because I just didn't, I just was like, he told me I'm just going to have pain and it's fine. And I just didn't think much about it until I was limping. It was like, I need to go see it. A doctor about this somebody new yeah I saw them they said you have water retention in your foot oh. I'm almost certain you have an autoimmune disease if not like rheumatoid arthritis we need you to go meet with a rheumatologist okay met with a rheumatologist she was fantastic I happened to get somebody who was their expertise was in scleroderma mm-hmm. and she tested me for everything and was like oh yeah no you have limited systemic sclerosis which is the type of scleroderma I have okay and we need to start getting you kind of figuring out what all of the things we need to do are because you have been dealing with this for quite some time so in a weird roundabout way I ended up getting my diagnosis because of a foot fracture wow yeah it was a weird way of finding out but I am strangely now thankful that, yeah. <laughs> that I was able to find out that way yeah and now I'm just working with all of my doctors since July 2020 and kind of going from there. If we go back, kind of looking with hindsight at all of those years, I'm not sure how many years that was since like you were at school and then freelance stage managing and then walking for three years on this foot. What did your life look like, like symptoms wise? Like how were you feeling? Did the fatigue ever go away or was that sort of always there? So the fatigue and the joint stiffness were constantly there. They Mm -hmm. never left. But I think because one, I had been going to doctors for so long and they had kept telling me it was nothing. Yeah. I, I think I made the assumption, okay, they said it was nothing, so it's nothing. Yeah. Also, now in hindsight, as a woman, I understand that like our healthcare systems sometimes have the deficiency of uh, women, especially women of color, I, I'm a white woman, but women in general are not being listened to. Mm-hmm. And so I think, unfortunately, that was happening in this case. Yeah, I was often told, so I am a, uh, 
what I call a fat woman. I love how I look. I love my body, but I, that is who I am. And I was constantly actually tested for diabetes, even interesting. Yeah. And hyperthyroidism. Yeah. And was told that those are the things that I need to focus on, even though we've, I've been now tested probably upwards of 30 times for diabetes and I very much don't have it. Yeah. So I think there were also some strange biases that were coming into play mm-hmm. in order to get that diagnosis, if that makes sense. Yeah. And when you were going to see these doctors, was there ever a sense of like, they just don't understand what I'm explaining to them is my symptom? Or did they have like an answer as to like why that symptom could be diabetes or could be what they're testing for? I think they, I think there's a level of some people just don't want to admit if they're stumped. Yeah. And again, I was the doctor that I'd been seeing for years. I first saw him when I was 20 Mm -hmm. and I switched doctors when I was 24, 25. Yeah. So I had been seeing him for about five years and he, he was, he was very nice and he was the sort of person who was willing to try to look stuff up. Yeah. But it's, a little bit harder to admit that somebody might have an autoimmune condition outside of the typical, again, diabetes, not that it's typical, but it's very common. Thyroid problems are very common. So they're the sort of things that people are going to look for. I also was working sometimes upwards of 14 hours a day uh, on various shows, various projects Mm -hmm. in grad school as well. So it was really busy. So being feeling joint stiffness from running around. I'm living in New York, running around the city all the time, just eating the kind of food, whatever you could find. (laughs) Um, All of that sort of stuff. I was like, okay, he might not be wrong. It might just genuinely be, I'm feeling fatigued. I'm feeling bloated. I'm feeling exhausted. And so I think it was, it just made sense to me that it could very well be those things. Um, And I just didn't question it. Yeah. And I think when we look back, it's really easy to like at in that moment find that excuse of like well I am tired like look at my life like this isn't just an you know especially when you're at drama school or when you're working on productions you know it is this whole other level of like energy that you use so how did it feel after all of that time to then get a diagnosis from the specialist I won my immediate response was what is that? Mm-hmm. Because I had never heard of it. Yeah. Which makes sense. It is a rare autoimmune disease. And after that, it was kind of just immersing myself in Google. Yeah. <laughs> um, and seeing everything that I could find about it and looking through and just realizing there were some symptoms that I just didn't realize were weird things. Yeah. Like I have Raynaud's, mm-hmm. which is. Uh, when I go into the cold or extreme heat, my fingers will change color yeah. and I will get really cold and I will start to shiver or shake. Yeah. And I had just assumed that was a thing that happened to people in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that that was not necessarily normal. Yeah. And so that was kind of one thing being like, oh, this makes sense. And then also figuring out for scleroderma, because it it can, it is a, disease that can affect every major part of your body essentially Mm -hmm. so it can affect all of the physical attributes like your organs and your uh skin and so 
those sort of things you have to then get checked. So I now have doctors for every single thing that you can think of. I see. And so in that, I discovered like I have IBS and that can be a part of it. Right. Or I have um, my skin gets when I get really cold, it kind of becomes like a muddled sort of tone. And then my fingers get white Mm -hmm. or I also have skin tightening or dryness. So scleroderma literally means hard skin in Greek. And so I will often get really, really, really dry skin. And like anything I put on my face just feels like it's burning unless I have very specific stuff. Okay. And again, I sort of was like, oh, that's just me. I just have weird skin. And because I knew other people who had similar stuff. I didn't realize that this was a part of that. Yes, yeah. And so I think just kind of going with every doctor and seeing all of the various things that had constantly been going on were actually abnormal Mm -hmm. helped me sort of go, okay, I have not been crazy all of these 10 years when I've been told I'm crazy. There is stuff going on and I um, I feel so vindicated and I feel so... I just feel better knowing that it's not just me. And I think a lot of people kind of experience that. Yeah. When I was doing some research into scleroderma and the different types of symptoms and how it might manifest in different people, I was really interested in how it can affect the digestive system. And because I was learning that like it could be affecting the esophagus or it might present on the intestines as well. And then, of course, that leads to like nutrients not being able to be absorbed by the body how does yeah scleroderma look for you digestive wise because I'm really interested after you mentioned about IBS yeah so I pre getting my official diagnosis we knew there was something autoimmune and so my partner and I looked into is there a diet I should be focusing on and I never I am the sort of person that's very of the view, you should eat what you want to eat. Yeah. And we found uh, what was called an autoimmune protocol diet. And essentially, it's an elimination diet. Okay. And so for about a month, I had really sad food. <laughs> it was not really any meats, maybe uh, certain types of leafy greens, not all types of fruits. It was just a very upsetting month of figuring out what I could eat. And this was before the diagnosis? This was all we knew was it was going to be autoimmune. Based off the discussions that I had with my other doctors, they were like, it's definitely autoimmune. We just don't know what it is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And so then uh, with this elimination diet, I stopped eating gluten. Mm Mm-hmm. I stopped eating refined sugars. Wow. Yeah. We, it was it was a time, yeah. especially because I love baking. Yeah. So it was sort of uh, experiencing something very different. And we learned that my body has issues with processing kind of simple carbs. Mm-hmm. So things like white rice or white potatoes. Okay. I get really sick. And so through that elimination diet, we figured out there's a handful of things that I just should not eat. I don't feel well. We learned that I was retaining about 60 pounds of water weight and I lost that pretty quickly. And it wasn't, again, it's not a visual thing of losing weight. It's just like imagining having all that water in your system. It was very refreshing to to have Mm -hmm. that go away. And now I'm on a completely gluten-free diet. I don't eat corn and again like white rice or white potatoes those are the things that tend to make me start to have kind of more ibs syndrome uh uh, symptoms but 
otherwise I've been able to kind of like eat other things and feel a lot better. Yeah. And speaking with my gastroenterologist, she also was like, try an elimination diet, see how these things work. Okay. And she fully supported that, which was really helpful. Yeah. And she agreed. She's like, these are the things, if you are feeling this way and having either diarrhea or constipation, she's like, you just d don't eat those things. Yeah. And it was also interesting during the pandemic because we sort of figured this out early 2020 and then really figured out July. Yeah. Finding food was really difficult. I see. Yeah. We, and we're, because we're in New York it, and that's sort of where it got really crazy in the U.S. very quickly. Yeah. We had difficulty finding and sourcing a lot of food alternatives anywhere we went. Okay. And so we found a lot of stuff online and we found some companies that were just a lot of small businesses that were like making lentil based lentil flour based pastas yeah. or were I can eat red rice and I can eat purple rice and those things totally fine and they taste really good. Yeah. So I think being able to kind of find a bunch of small businesses that they are making foods that I can have was also it was an experience. It yeah. was a lot of research, but yeah. we figured it out. And yeah, so that was sort of the, that sort of element. Also pelvic floor physical therapy helped a ah, lot as okay. well. My gastroenterologist was really adamant that because it just seemed like the musculature in my body was not doing what it was supposed to do. Yeah. And so she was like, I think you should go to pelvic floor physical therapy. Mm. In addition to what you're doing for food, this will help you relearn how to go to the bathroom, yeah. how to make sure that you feel good. And uh, props to my physical therapist, Natalia, who's amazing. And it really made a huge difference. And I did feel like my, my just generally my day to day, I didn't feel sick all the time. Okay. So that was really helpful. Yeah, that's amazing. Circling back to being diagnosed in a pandemic, I did have a question written down. How on earth does that look when you are diagnosed with an autoimmune condition in the middle of a global pandemic? It was uh, an interesting experience. <laughs> um, I think the it was sort of twofold. What was really fascinating was New York is so public transportation heavy. Yeah. And so getting for the first few weeks of going to my doctors consistently, it was very scary. Yeah. Because you just, you didn't, none of us understood what was really going on. Yeah. I was lucky. It was sort of at the point where people were wearing masks. Yeah. And I just, the only thing that was nice is the trains were relatively empty. Yeah. <laughs> so that sort of was helpful. I think my, many of my close friends live out of state. So I think being kind of virtual and talking to people virtually was already something we were doing. Yeah. But I think the difference was I felt better when I wasn't feeling physically well, being like, I'm not doing well today. Can we not have a Zoom or can we not yeah. do something? And learning to advocate for myself during the pandemic kind of became really big. Yeah. Just because we had so much more access to people. Yeah. That was such a big thing, right? Like, but you're at home. I should be able to just video call you right now. <laughs> exactly. What else are you doing? We're in lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> you're just home. Why don't you call me? And yeah. it's like, but I, I'm tired. And I think that was really... That was a really interesting experience of just kind of realizing like, oh, we're constantly all talking, but I actually physically for my own health just need to take a break yeah. and my mental health just need to take a break. Yeah. And so I think that was a big part of it. I also 
it was interesting meeting doctors and not seeing their faces. Ah, oh, of course. Yeah, I just wasn't going to. And also, whenever I looked at their picture in my head, I was like, oh, you look way different than I thought yeah. you were going to look in person. Yeah. And so that was a very strange, it was a, a strange experience. I like very much believe you can tell how people are feeling with their eyes. Yeah. So that was good. But I think it's still very jarring to like just not to meet like your pulmonologist and just be like, oh, I have no clue what you look yeah. like. <laughs> cool. Nice to meet you. So you were able to meet your specialists in person? Yep. Because at the beginning of um, the diagnosis, and again, this is my experience. I, I think people though have very similar, uh, go through a similar thing where you have to pulmonologists do a pulmonary test. Okay. You have to do uh, an echocardiogram and uh, possibly some other stuff to get your heart checked out. Yeah. You have to speak with a gastroenterologist to check on your esophagus and you typically get a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. Okay. You, I wrote actually down, I have all of my doctors. Yeah. You, I have like a team of about 10 to 12 doctors who I'm consistently wow. seeing because it just can affect every part of your body. So even things like one of the medications I'm on, um, Plaquenil, they have to check my eyes because Plaquenil over time can cause your eyes to, um, your sight to deteriorate. Okay. So things like that is that was like more on the medication side, yeah. but most of the major organs, if you're getting a doctor, you go to them every eight weeks yeah. and they're just constantly checking it to make sure you have no scarring, to make sure you have like none of those areas in your body are almost shrinking because yeah. the skin is hardening. It can tighten those areas and they just don't work as well. Yeah. It's also things like seeing a therapist because it's really hard and wanting to be able to talk to someone about it. So also just making sure my mental health was good. Yeah. Luckily for that doctor, I could be virtual. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, for the first, for all of my doctors, the first three or four months, I was going in to see them every time and then going in to talk through results to make sure I understood everything. Yeah. And then it would be on and off appointments being virtual after that. I'd love to know the list of how many doctors you have. If I you got feel you. like sharing. Okay, <laughs> sure. I have a rheumatologist. They're sort of kind of in charge of everything. Yep. Then I have a cardiologist and audiologist because a lot of autoimmune diseases can cause autoimmune inner ear disease, okay. which that was fun to learn. Yeah. Um, and so that causes vertigo and dizziness. Yeah. And the only explanation they have is because you have an autoimmune disease, this might be affecting those organs because we see, or the the way your, uh, your ear, throat, and nose and all of that in your head, how it functions. Yeah. Um, so they're like, it has, we're pretty sure it's your autoimmune disease. So I have to go check in with them frequently. Yeah. I have an ophthalmologist, pulmonologist, gastroenterologist, a podiatrist and a sports medicine doctor because mm -hmm. it can affect joints and bones, a neurologist, a physical therapist, an OBGYN and a dentist. Wow. And how does it work finding these gists these specialists <laughs> these people that yeah. end with ist like how does it even work did, did you get referred to people and then you lucked out that the first person you got referred to was was a good member like a good fit of your team or did you have to sort of shop around I think it's it so depends on the 
on the doctor who's kind of the first one you're seeing. Okay, so yeah. my rheumatologist, oh, also dermatologist. Mm-hmm. That's an important mm. one. Um, so my rheumatologist actually recommended which cardiologist and pulmonologist I went okay. to because those are kind of, if anything is going to be affected, those two are going to be probably the ones that are affected the most and probably very quickly. Yes, because um, I was reading that it can definitely affect the heart, the lungs, and the kidneys. Yep. It will pretty much, it can attack those organs by causing scarring or by causing um, tightness to happen so that they just don't function yeah. as properly. And so she recommended I go to people that she preferred. Yeah. And so that's how I started there. Uh, the other doctors, the Scler- the National Scleroderma Foundation has a website with resources about who to go to for ah. uh, where in each state. Amazing. It's really cool. Um, they just revamped their website also, so it's extremely accessible compared yeah. to... It used to be very 90s, Leah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're very excited about this transformation. Yeah. That's really interesting that they are able to do that because a lot of the societies or like departments in New Zealand, they actually can't ref- like recommend specific doctors. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's... I think... It's both. It's interesting. I think for the U.S. healthcare system, which I personally find very flawed. Yeah. Um, I think. Yeah, you're not alone it, with that one, a, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> it's a. It's not the best system. My partner is actually from the U.K. and mm-hmm. his sister is a doctor, so yeah. we see little variances in the, in that way. And I think it's sometimes great. You're really lucky if your doctor refers you to really excellent people. Yeah. Unfortunately, a lot of doctors will refer the people to other doctors who they may have never met. Yeah. Who they've just kind of heard from somebody, oh, you should go to this person. I sort of hope if a rheumatologist is recommending somebody, um, just because rheumatology is so complicated yeah. and such a comp complex thing that they would actually be putting you with people who they trust. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think also one thing I learned throughout the pandemic was if I am not comfortable with the doctor I am seeing and they are not listening to me when I'm trying to advocate for myself, they're not the doctor for me. Yes. Yep. And it's okay if they're like, if they say something I disagree with, they just have to be willing to listen and have a conversation. Yeah. It, if that can't happen, it's not, they're not the right doctor. And did you find that you had to like switch doctors at all throughout this process? Yeah, I think I've had a couple doctors who I've like seen who makes the most sense for me. Amazing. Yeah. And I I feel lucky right now. The, the team and people that I have that I now almost know on a personal level because I yeah. see them every few weeks, they're all really willing to hear you out and yeah. willing to try stuff. Also, the thing that I love is they're all very approving of complementary medicine. Yeah. So I do acupuncture with uh, an amazing woman named Devin Greenbaum. And she is, again, somebody who is willing to listen and really makes a difference to make sure you are getting the best results for whatever is kind of causing a problem yeah and it I do that alongside my uh, everyday medication and making sure that like I take my meds every day the time I need to uh, usually after doing yoga every morning because I found that has also made a difference yeah and so I think having doctors who are willing to try a bunch of different alternatives make sure you are 
doing what is honestly best for you. Those are sort of where I've landed with my doctors and I feel really lucky. So yeah, just like you mentioned, what is the treatment plan moving forward? What happens after you get a diagnosis? One uh, is you will go to your doctors frequently Mm -hmm. just to continue to be checked up. Then I am sort of on a various medications. The main ones that I'm on are methotrexate, which if you Google, it sounds very scary, but in reality, it's used for a lot of different people. You'll find it's used for cancer patients all the way to people with rheumatoid arthritis. So I use that. The one kind of caveat we found, and again, it's an American health system issue, not all insurances will accept certain versions of it I see. because scleroderma is so rare and it's not what it's technically used for. Yeah. And so you sometimes come into the issue of, well, we can have this version, but not this version. Yeah. And you can only actually ask for 28 days of it, not 30. Okay. And it can kind of become a whole thing. Yeah. So I'm currently on that. And we just actually started doing injectable form of that. Okay. Previously, I was on uh, tablets. And unfortunately, just because of my IBS, we're pretty sure I wasn't absorbing them as well. Yeah. So my general joint and inflammation, joint stiffness and inflammation were just not going down as much as we wanted. Yeah. And I've now used the injectables a few times. I see a drastic difference with my joint and inflammation pain. Okay, that's amazing. It's great. I just get very sleepy. So we're now going to move to doing them later in the day. Yep. (laughs) Um, And then I'm also on Plaquenil, which is a lot of people know it as uh, hydroxychloroquine. And that is also used for, it's a malaria uh, medication. And I use that also to help with inflammation and making sure that just kind of everything is level. I'm on amlodipine, which helps with my rainouts. It kind of gets your blood going so that you're not cold all the time. And then also folic acid. So the folic acid helps with the methotrexate to make sure I don't get nauseous. Okay. And I'm someone who easily gets nauseous. So we've kind of knocked up the amount that I take just to make sure that I am feeling okay on my day-to-day basis. And is there anything else that you've had to change, I suppose, lifestyle-wise following the diagnosis? Yeah, we've had a few things. So one, my bones will just not heal as well after injuries. So one thing with the foot fracture, we have special insoles and I can only wear certain shoes just to make sure that I'm comfortable. And it also puts less pressure on the rest of my body when I'm walking around. Mm -hmm. We have sweaters and blankets around the entire apartment for when it's cold. We changed my diet. As I mentioned earlier, we just made sure that I, we always have access to foods that I can eat. So I'm full, but also foods that will make me feel good. And I won't be in the bathroom all afternoon. We have also just kind of the way our apartment is laid out, things are pretty far apart. And so we've tried to make sure that like the things like the floors, just being certain parts of the floors being clear. Okay. So I can walk around because if I fall, because sometimes with the autoimmune inner ear disease, if you're dizzy or have vertigo, you can fall a lot. And so making sure that like, I just don't have things in the way so that I'm not falling or that I'm, or that I don't trip and hurt myself. I also just think I have become in my day to day much more open about how I'm feeling. Yeah. We have 
uh, our big thing is the spoon theory and being able to say, well, I only have two spoons today. I, I can't do these other things that we had planned. And I also know that a lot of my experience comes from a place of privilege because I am a middle-class white lady. I, I have the ability to be able to do these things, have the ability to yeah. go to doctors, have the ability to make my, my house an accessible place for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel very lucky that I am able to do that. Yeah. And, and also that I have a partner who, when I say I am having a no spoons day, or I am having a, uh, I think the, the new thing is a no bones day. Yeah. So like, <laughs> If I'm having those things, he knows, okay, it might just mean that like he might be doing a little more or, okay, you're going to be working from bed today. Yeah. And we've done things like we have the little pillow that helps you sit up and we have a little table that goes just in the bed. Yeah. I can work from there. Amazing. We, we've tried. Yeah. We've just made spaces more accessible, which I think we're really lucky to be able to do that. Speaking of working, something that comes through when people message me or that so chronic a lot of the conversation is around how do these people that have these diagnoses keep working? How do they manage working and also managing their autoimmune conditions or their chronic illnesses? How do you find that with your job? I think it can be really hard not to like sugarcoat anything. I think the thing that I found is one, I'm very lucky to be working a job I really love. Yeah, makes all the difference. Yeah, it makes such a huge difference. And I like the people I'm working with. And I sort of from day one have been unapologetically trying to be me and be open. Yeah. So I know if I'm having a hard time, I have to express that. Yeah. And that's not necessarily safe for everybody. Not everybody can do that. But I think being very clear about where I'm at with people when I'm in the space with them, that's made a big difference. I also think I I try to plan my time in ways that I know like I can take breaks. Yeah. So a big thing for me was, especially at the beginning of my diagnosis, when we were testing out different medications, I was like, okay, I know I might feel really off, but I have to get all of these things done. Yeah. So make sure I get whatever I need to get done. And if I can't make sure I communicate that with people Yeah, and I'm going to take an hour or, or I'm going to take an hour break here and I have it put in my calendar. This is now my hour break during the day. I can do whatever I want. I can eat. I can take a nap. I can go read whatever makes me feel better. That hour is set aside for me. Yeah. I think having those breaks makes a big difference, but also there are days when I just don't want to do anything. And I think we all experience that and days that I just don't feel well. And if I can take those days and take a vacation day, I, I do it. Yeah. I also, for me, working from home has made a big difference for a lot of my work. I'm able to be home when we have shows going on. I do need to be in the theater. And on those days, I make sure, one, do I have snacks with me? Do I have plenty of water with me? Yeah. Do I have a chair accessible if I need to take a break and sit down? Do I have extra sweaters because theaters are notoriously cold? Yeah. <laughs> do I have all of those things that can make this a safe space for me? And also being willing to tell the people I'm working with, hey, 
I need five minutes. I'm going to go do this over here for right now. Yeah. I think it also comes with working with a lot of women and people of color in our organization. And I think everybody there is very understanding of if you need a second to go take a second. And I think that's, I'm really lucky to be able to have that. With some of these extra considerations that you have to do on a day-to-day to to manage your condition and also just manage day-to-day living, did that ever take an effect on your mental health? Or did it ever, like, do you ever feel guilty about working from home today or anything like that? 100%. I think I'm also a person who, if I can't do something, it really frustrates me. Yeah. And I've always been somebody, I take on too many things and I fully acknowledge (laughs) that. And I think having to let go was very, very helpful. I think it's also one of those things where my mental health was something I've always been trying to work on. Yeah. And I've always tried... I've always come in with the understanding that you will not always be 100% happy and that's okay. Yeah. Some days are just not going to be great days and you know what? It will pass. Yeah. I also think, so I was very, very lucky at the beginning of the pandemic. I had a lovely therapist for several years. She went on maternity leave Mm -hmm. right after she went on maternity leave. It was kind of a crazy time and I also got diagnosed. Yeah. And so- I ended up being placed with somebody else in the practice who focused on chronic illness. Ah. It was really great. And she created a group, um, a therapy group for people in their 20s and 30s who had chronic illnesses. Ah, amazing. It was really great. And it was just us being able to communicate and being able to kind of talk through how we cope with our day to day. Mm -hmm. And we were all at various stages. Some people have had their diagnoses for years. Some people have had it just diagnosed. And I think one thing that I do is when we're feeling certain ways, we just reach out to each other. Yeah. And I think having that has sort of helped because it's just people who get it. Yeah. (laughs) It's so important. Yeah. It's nice to just be like, I'm having a horrible fatigue day or like, I cannot move my my joints are just too much. And everyone's like, it's okay, do what you need. And we're like, this is just really lovely. Yeah. I, I also just think taking time for yourself is really important. Mm-hmm. We are all going right now through a collective trauma. Like COVID yeah. is a lot. I think discussions about race and how we treat different types of people, both race as well as um, gender are very significant right now. And yeah. we're also... Not that they haven't been before, but I think it's been in the spotlight. And also, we're all just kind of trying to deal with the fact that our world isn't what we thought it would be. Mm -hmm. And I think allowing that to sink in and just going, oh, we're we're all kind of going through some shit right now. We can, we deserve to take a minute. And that's not always easy and not always a possibility. But being able to, when you feel overwhelmed, even just taking a deep breath. Yeah, taking a moment, I think has made a big difference. And I think that for me has helped my mental health. But there are definitely days where I'm like, I feel lazy, or I feel (laughs) like I can't do this. And my partner's like, you're not being lazy, you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, it's so important to remember that, especially on those somewhat bad days. You were able to connect with people in the support group. But I'm wondering, because scleroderma is classified as a rare condition have you been able to connect with anybody who also has scleroderma so it's been 
I think this week in particular, or the past couple weeks have been interesting. So I, there's some Facebook groups and that's sort of how I've connected with people. Um, Scleroderma tends to, uh, you tend to get diagnosed in your forties and I am definitely not in my forties. Yeah. (laughs) And it also tends to the groups that it affects the most. I learned, I knew, uh, it affected black women the most, but it also apparently affects the, um, I want to say it correctly. Choctaw Native American group the most. Ah, interesting. Yeah. And whereas the version of scleroderma that I have, that affects European people the most. Okay. But in general, it affects people of color more than it affects white people. And mm-hmm. so it's also been interesting. I've followed some people, been able to sort of communicate that way, but I haven't really found many people my age. Yes. Yeah. But what has been interesting is, so Bob Saget, the comedian, passed away. Mm-hmm. Whatever people think about his comedy or his acting or his career, he was the number one like advocate. And he was also one of the top like funders for scleroderma research. I did not know that. Yep. His sister passed away from <gasps> it. And so he even made a movie about scleroderma. Wow. It's very lifetime, very 90s. Yeah. But he made it to kind of promote like, hey, we need to be helping people. And throughout this kind of now that people are have been mourning him, suddenly a bunch of celebrities have been posting about the scleroderma foundation or scleroderma research foundation. And because he was a board member and are saying, hey, we're we're fundraising to help with this research buy this sweater or buy this thing and all the proceeds will go to it. It's like John Mayer has been was one of the people Jimmy Kimmel posted about it, Regina Hall. It's been really interesting. And I think I've now seen when he passed away, I'm finding younger people yeah. who are commenting on things about it, saying, like, we are so thankful for what he's done. We I think it's brought the scleroderma community together yeah. in a way that I haven't seen before wow so I'm kind of hopeful I'll meet more people but I think it's very sad and it's it's horrible but for with everything that he has done it's can even past now that he's passed like he's still affecting the community and it is people are talking more than they've ever spoken before which is really interesting to see and it's really exciting yeah and it kind of just shows the importance yeah of sharing stories and also how important it can be when somebody who is famous or has a lot of influence in the world does share openly about chronic illnesses or diagnoses fascinating I had no idea I'm definitely going to be looking that up I want to watch the movie I I, I haven't found it yet I've seen clips okay. from it, so I'm excited <laughs> to see it it's a uh, it seems very like of a time yeah. so I'm like really excited <laughs> to watch yeah. it so if you could go back to Eden who was going to doctors and people weren't really too sure what was happening. Perhaps you've just fractured your foot, which you didn't even know was a fracture. If you could go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice or say something, even when you've just been diagnosed, what would you say to yourself? I think listen to your gut. Yeah. Like I just for years just didn't, I, I, I do believe doctors are the expert they know what they're doing they they, they've studied this for years but also you know your body best and if you think there's something wrong a lot of the times there might be something wrong yeah so 
especially if it's been going on for a long time. So I, I think just listening to the fact that like, you were right and that's okay. Like you can advocate for yourself. Yeah. I think that was kind of, I wish I had known that. And I wish I had been in a point where mentally and emotionally I was mature enough to understand that, but we're here now and we're like, okay, it's cool. Yeah. We're going through it day by day. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story with me and with everybody that's listening, wherever they may be listening in from today. And I guess if anybody listening has scleroderma, please reach out. Maybe we can connect you guys together. I'd love that. Incredible. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And thank you for listening to another episode of That's So Chronic. And another big shout out to Eden because I've just re-listened to this interview to record this outro and I honestly cannot stop thinking about the admin it must take to coordinate with 12 specialists. Like, I know how difficult it is with one. I am just constantly in awe of everyone who shares their stories with me. So again, thank you all so much. Which reminds me, if you would like to share your story here on That's So Chronic, you can. The details are in the show notes. I would love to hear from you. Also in the show notes are links to follow That's So Chronic on social media. It's just at That's So Chronic everywhere. Pretty easy, really. I would also love it if you could please give That So Chronic a review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you're not already, make sure that you've pressed follow so you don't miss an episode. That really helps That So Chronic get into more ears around the world to hopefully spread awareness and, more importantly, hope.